please stand? I'll read the Word of God and pray, and then we will jump right into it. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus our Lord, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, at the church of Ephesus, so you can charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love, is agape that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law was not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Father, uh, our job now today as a part of our worship is to be attentive to your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that I would be attentive to your word, not to read into any of the scripture that is before us, but to lead out the accurate meaning that Paul wanted to express not only to young Timothy as one who was left to correct those who were teaching false doctrine, but also to the church at Ephesus and, Lord, by extension, to the church at Heritage. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help me, first of all, to to express accurately your thoughts and to apply them accurately and helpfully. And I pray for all of us to hear your word, to take it into our hearts to never do anything that is in any way swerving from, wandering away from the soundness, the, the health of your doctrine, of your word. So, Father, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit now to impress upon us what we need to do and what we need to be about. And I make this prayer in the powerful name of our reigning Savior, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I don't intend for you to stand during the message. I was in a meeting a while back and a longtime leader that I have greatly admired, greatly appreciated, who has influenced, I don't know how many, but a great many people made this statement, it was a public statement, and a lot of times when statements are made privately, we go to that person, we seek to to discern what they say, but many times when it's a public statement, it needs to be responded to publicly, and and I will try my best to uh, to, to come to to an accurate understanding. I don't know, maybe I just read it wrong, but here is what that person said, and here is why it's important for us to be discerning. I wonder if the audience that that read this statement really stopped and asked the question, what does he mean by this? He could have meant several things to give the benefit of the doubt. Word for word, here's what he recorded. I don't really read Scripture anymore. Put quotations around the read. I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that. Let me read that again. I don't really read Scripture anymore, but listen, quotes around that, 
to the Spirit tell me what to think, what to feel, and what to do. At best, that needs explaining. Perhaps he's come to a place where he can no longer see to actually read. I was talking to Jan about this this morning. I said, honey, when I get too old, when my eyes grow dim, and I can no longer read the Scripture for myself, even with big glasses and a big print, please read to me or put on recording God's Word. So he could have meant maybe he just can't see anymore. Listening to the Holy Spirit, he just says the Spirit. Listening to the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital. But please understand this. We've said this over and over and over again. And this is what we are talking about, about discerning false teachers and their false doctrine. The only way we can tell is to go to the Word of God and see how we are to listen We always, always will need the Word of God and the Spirit of God working together. Never either one of those alone. And if we put aside the precious Word of God and listen only to or try to listen to the Spirit in what we think, what we feel, and in what we do, we can very easily be led astray. And I wondered to myself how many of the people out there who were reading that particular statement were accepting it without discerning the potential dangers of that comment. Let me say it again. Students, please hear this. Adults, please hear this. We live in in, in a culture, even in our evangelical churches, where we are awash in this, if we unhitch our minds, our feelings, our actions from God's Word, how can the Holy Spirit guide us? The answer is He can't, and we will end up substituting. I mentioned to you last week, and there are various ways of looking at that survey, the Ligonier study of 2022 reveals. Here's what it does reveal, even if you may not agree with some of the individual assertions of it. It reveals a continued slide in biblical literacy among those of us who profess the evangelical Christian faith. Now, some of you may not understand even what the word evangelical means. It means that we hold to the to the biblical doctrines of the Scripture about the gospel. We are evangelicals. And even that word sometimes needs to be explained. So we look at it. We just heard it a minute ago. Paul is warning Timothy. Paul is also speaking to the church at Ephesus. Individuals, don't just look at this in in yourselves as a lump. God through Timothy, is through Paul, and then through Timothy is speaking to you as individuals. As I said last week, moms and dads and grandparents and, and those who are influencers in the lives of your family. And I went back and I studied this and I said, Lord, is this really a problem for us today as it was in the book of, uh, in the time of, of the church at Ephesus back then? And I came away believing that it is a grave danger today to learn how to discern, to learn about false teachers and their false teachings that pull people away. Did you notice what the aim of our teaching is? It's love. Not a syrupy, sappy, sentimental, worldly definition love that lets everybody do their own thing but the love of God, the agape love that has the bite of the cross in it. That's the aim of the the sermon today. It's the aim of every sermon. The aim of our teaching is agape love, God's love that flows from what? We talked about this two weeks ago. A pure heart, 
a good and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. And so we're going to jump in at verse 6, and you see the outline there is simply the scriptures and not much space to write, so get another sheet of paper if you like to take notes and uh, fill in the, the blanks there, and we're going to just walk right through this. What did Paul say? What did Paul mean? And what does that mean for us today? Certain persons, by swerving from these, from what? Verse 5, just what I mentioned. By swerving from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith out of which issue agape love. Some, by swerving from these, have wondered, you're going to swerve somewhere. You're going to swerve back onto the road or you're going to go into the ditch. And Paul says these particular certain persons have gone into the ditch, look at this, with empty talk with vain discussions. Now, here's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about differing opinions about which we have vigorous debate and discussion. And I love that. I, I love when in our ABF class we ask questions and we have pushback and, and, and we ought to always welcome that as long as those issues are not the bedrock doctrines of the faith. And that's what these people were doing. They were going straight to the heart, the foundational biblical truths. On Wednesday night, interesting, and I told the uh, third and fourth graders that we were going to be talking about this this Sunday. And we showed some pictures and we talked about this, the, the, the importance of studying the Word of God the importance of handling it correctly. Why? Because Paul said it like this. I know, or Luke said it, recording the words of the Apostle Paul, I know that after my departure, who's he talking to there? Does anybody know? The elders at the church at Ephesus. Hmm. See how all this runs together? I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, and Jesus called these folks wolves in sheep's clothing. They look good. Kids, I did this Wednesday. I got to do it again. They look good, but they're really bad. Okay, you adults, forgive me. They're going to come in among you from outside, but lo and behold, they're not sparing the flock. They don't give a rip about your spiritual well-being. You got to know that. And from among you, the, the attack is twofold, from without and from within, from among your own selves will arise men speaking, and here's the vain discussions, they're speaking perverted, it says in one translation, twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And I immediately thought as I was studying through this particular section of, of what we're studying today, I immediately thought of an old proverb, and this, this, is the, this is the way a lot of times in our churches and what comes, you know, there's a lot of teaching, a lot of podcasts, a lot of people out there that are teaching a lot of different things that you're listening to, and not all of it is good. And if you're not asking the Lord to help you take the Word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, helping you to discern who are the true teachers of the Word, who are just simply trying to lead out the meaning of the Word and not change it, not twist it. And here's how they do it, from without and from within. Not all at once coming in and teaching you, like some will do, that Jesus really wasn't God. They're going to come in and they're going to twist just enough so they move the boundary. It's an old saying, a proverb, that, that means they, they move the boundary. They'll redefine. They'll make up new words. They will come and they will say, now, you've got this wrong. Let me show you what this really means. Let me, let me guide you with this book that I have written or someone else has written. And they move the boundaries ever so slightly, but guess what? They will never, ever remain there. Once they've gotten the boundary moved just a little bit, what are they going to do? 
What are they going to do, students? They're going to move the boundaries some more. They're not sparing the flock, so they don't care how long it takes. They'll move the boundaries some more, and they'll move some, the boundaries some more. They will always do it with twisted doctrine or perverted living, the outcome of twisted doctrine, always. And so that's what we must be looking for. They end up, as it says in verse 6, swerving. They miss the mark. They wonder, not W-O-N-D, they W-A-N-D, they wonder. They turn away to empty talk. Now, basically what this looks like is that they are really good at talking about stuff, but not the most important stuff that, that Paul talks about, for example, right here. They love to engage in vain conversations. They love to engage in things, listen to this, that stimulate our carnal minds but don't lead us to godly thinking that then leads us, applied by the Holy Spirit, to godly living. And so I mentioned just a few moments ago that last week, do I have any of the, the, uh, the Awana third and fourth grade, the TNT with us here today? Are, are you here? Abe, there you are. Okay. Do I have any more? Yeah, yeah, Judah. Okay. Now, here's what we talked about. I want you guys to help me here. This is important. I told you. I warned you. I was going to talk about you. Talk about this truth. The Awana lesson, at least ours had as its title, the Bible should be studied carefully. Do any of you, I'm putting you on the spot, remember the verse that we memorized? Gulp. Well, I'm going to help you out. Okay? All right. There were several of you because we skipped a week last week when we had the, and we had fun at, at, at the fall festival, but we skipped the week and so they weren't, they didn't quite have that down. So, hey, third and fourth graders, I want you to say this verse. This is the one we memorized. Okay, adults, I want you to pretend now you're third and fourth graders. You may not be in Awana. But I want you to say this verse with me. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. That's the theme of Awana. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, you know what comes right after that? It's a warning. Why do workers need not to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth? Because we need to avoid irreverent babble. Because it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. This is not a glorified Kiwanis club. I have nothing against Kiwanis or Rotary or anything like this. This is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. We'll find later on. There must be sound doctrine and there must be godly living. We're not perfect, but we're, we're, we're working along that path of sanctification, being made holy, being conformed more into the image of Christ, and God uses a lot of stuff to get us there. But this kind of thing, false doctrine, moving the boundary stones will lead to more and more ungodliness. And guess what? The, the, the babblers are not going to stop. They're just going to continue to babble. And it says their talk will spread like gangrene. Gangrene is not as prevalent as it once was, but if there was an infection, let's say you hurt your leg or whatever, and it got gangrene, it just began to die. And the problem was that if you didn't cut off that leg or fix it with antibiotics, it's just going to travel up and travel to your heart, and it's going to kill you. And a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit, and it'll spread, and it'll kill the church by devastating individual Christians. Among these, and he names names, are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved, same words, they swerved. They swerved from the truth. They fell into the ditch, saying that the resurrection has already happened. Eh. 
you won't know that it hasn't already happened unless you've studied like First and Second Timothy and places like that. They are upsetting the faith of some. And that's why Paul told Timothy to tell these folks to stop it. And that's why I am just repeating the words of Paul so that you and I can be equipped to head it off at the pass, to nip it in the bud, whatever else you want to say to stop all of this. That memory verse, that, what else did we talk about? We talked about the memory verse, but do you guys, third and fourth graders, we talked about wolves in sheep clothing. How do you tell? By the way, do any of you guys, okay, Judah, you're over there, I think. How, how do you tell the real thing I only see, I know we've got more. I see Abe and I see Judah. How do you know that something is false? You remember? By looking at the real thing, I held up a fake dollar bill. I said, how do you know this is fake? At a bank, they don't teach you to look at the fake. They teach you to look at the real thing. So we have to look at what, what is the real thing? This is the real thing, and that's what we've got to look at so that we can know the difference between what Paul says are myths and fantasies, genealogies, and all of the rest of that, and we can go to the Word of God and see the real thing. And if you're a child or if you're a child in the faith, even as a chronological adult, you can be led away very easily into myths. I have a granddaughter. I have several granddaughters, but one in particular, maybe several of them. From the time she was little, she wanted to be a unicorn. And you know, they make little head things where you can have the, you can put it on, have the ears and look like a, a unicorn. And of course, as an adult, as a, as a loving parent, the goal of our instruction is love. I am not going to tell her not to pretend as a child because pretending can be a, a, a good thing. We read Chronicles of Narnia. We, we realize that there is that kind of thing that stimulates the imagination but if she came to me as a 15-year-old and said, I want to change my identity into being a unicorn, I would say to her, honey, that is a myth. You need to go to what God says is the purpose for which he has created you. And you need to take that to the bank. Do you know what we did in Awana after we went through the lesson? We went to singing. Nikki Carpenter? Thank you. We sang a, a couple of songs, and the kids are going to sing for you at some point in the future. One of the, one of the songs that they sang, and I just, I just love this song. I watched the kids sing it. I listened to them sing it. And if you're anywhere close, you can hear them sing it. They love it. It's a song by Sovereign Grace Music that is entitled, Just the Way God Wanted Us to Be. Let me read that song for you. And uh, I don't know if I ought to ask the kids to respond to it like they do. Verse 1, God made the earth and filled it full, the seas and trees and animals, and didn't he made a man. But Adam was incomplete, so God gave him a helper, Eve, to carry out his plan. This happy husband and wife, they showed the world what God is like until they disobeyed. And even though they lost it all, we still see fingerprints of God in everything He makes. We are the image of God, of the God of all the world. He made us boys. Well, I got one who's listening. Because when we do that and the kids scream, he made us boys. Boys! Good, you got it. He made us girls. 
Always count on those girls. Different pieces of the puzzle joined together perfectly. We are just the way God wanted us to be. We're shades of brown. We're short and tall. But God himself designed us all unique so we could see he wants us each to play a part to show the world the Father's heart to have a family. And some people will say, you are indoctrinating our kids. And I will say, you better believe we're indoctrinating our kids. Now, that can have a bad connotation, to, to force beliefs without asking questions. But indoctrinate, to put doctrine into them. We want them to think critically, but more than that, along with that, we want them to think biblically. Someone is going to indoctrinate your children and grandchildren. And I am so grateful. I don't know, Nikki, if you found that song or Sean or whoever, but thank God. I, I stand back there and I'm listening to those kids and I'm just thinking, thank you, Jesus, that we get a chance to put the sound doctrine because they're going to either get sound doctrine into their lives or they're going to get false doctrine. There is no middle ground. Wow. Okay. I feel strongly about that. Let's see what these false teachers are saying in verse 7. Desiring to be teachers of the law. What law? The moral law of God. We're not talking about the 613 ceremonial uh, judicial laws of God that were added to the moral law of God. What's the moral law of God? The Ten Commandments. It shows us what God is like. Why does he say don't commit adultery because he wants you to be pure. Isn't the goal of our instruction love from a pure heart? He wants us to be pure because he's pure. He wants us to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like the next Baptist on the row over, well, maybe if that person is really a good example, but he wants you to be pure like God is pure. He wants you to be we want you to be honest because God is honest. We're going to walk through this. This is exactly what Paul does. It is incredible. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So these guys don't really give a hoot about digging into the Word. What does the Word say? What do these words mean? What do they say and then what do they mean and how do they apply? That's expository preaching, and I try to do it, and so does everybody who preaches from this pulpit. We want to do it. We don't want to lead in meanings that are not there. But they don't have a desire to dig into the Word and lead out God's meaning and apply it clearly in accuracy. They want to be known as rabbi. They, they want to be looked to. They want to be seen as prominent teachers of the law. Well, hello, Dr. So-and-so. Well, hello, Dr. So-and-so. What new insights do you have from the law? And that's what they were all about. They were after the title and the recognition. And watch out for preachers who are all about the title and recognition. Watch out. We know that Paul is referring to the moral law of God. We know that. From what follows? What does follow? Verse 8. Now, we know that the law is good. I'm going to run you through some, some scriptures just where Paul says that in other places. The moral law of God is good. There's nothing wrong with it. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? The moral law of God, the Ten Commandments. By no means the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good, for we know the law is spiritual. And he says later on, I agree that the law, with the law, that it is good. It is good insofar, now listen to this, 
Now we know that the law of God is good. Look at it, verse 8. If one uses it lawfully, there is an ungodly, unlawful use of the word. And he says, avoid that. Don't use it like the false teachers do. Use it insofar as it is meant to be used. What's the law supposed to do? What's the law designed to do? Boy, we've got so many views of the law, and we've got those who are legalists who believe that we're going to be saved by keeping the law. Can a person be saved by keeping the law? We're we're going to look at that in just, just a second. The answer may surprise you. No, it won't, really. But Paul says, I, I know, I know that the law is good. And here's, here's exactly why it's good. And here's the first use of the law. It's always been like this. What shall we say then? We're going back, requoting Romans 7, 7. The law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been, I'm finishing the statement. Yes, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Why is it important that you know that you're a sinner? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the wages of sin is death? So, the importance of the law, it's it's pre-evangelism. It sets us up so that we will need something that we can't do for ourselves. And that is the gospel that uh, uh, that He supplies through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it like this, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, Law 10, thou shalt not covet. Boom. First use of the law. And if you're here and you you came in with a friend or you just wandered in and you're not a Christian, let me tell you, the law is your best friend. It is good. It is holy. People put the law down like it's not. The law is your best friend. It's like a mirror. It's like, again, it's like a best friend. I asked Jan about this example, and of course, she edited it, and so I'll tell it. The law is like a mirror, okay? If you've had a wonderful meal of a spinach salad and poppy seed chicken, and you finish that meal, what is one of the first things that you're going to do? You're going to go into the bathroom, or you're going to hold up a mirror, and you're going to see if there is anything unsightly in your teeth, so that you don't go out not realizing what you look like, and you smile real big, and you're trying to impress some young lady or some young man, and you smile real big, and you got a big piece of spinach right there. The law is your best friend because it's a mirror to show you what you need to correct. And sometimes if a mirror is not available, uh, this is best friend stuff. Hopefully, either you have a spouse who's a best friend or you have a best friend that will do this because after a meal, and if there is no mirror available, guess what Jan does? Honey, is there anything in my teeth? Now, if I'm her best friend and she's got a big old piece of poppy seed right there, I'm not going to say, no, you're fine, you're fine. (laughs) I'm going to say, honey, get a toothpick. You really need a toothpick. So the law shows us our sin so that we can quickly move to the remedy for that sin. See, the law is meant to crush us. And I tell you, Romans 7 is just a beautiful picture of that. Paul thought he was good. He thought he, he had stuff all in his teeth, and he didn't know it until somebody held up the mirror of the Tenth Commandment about coveting, and he saw all kinds of junk. And that led him to be crushed by the law. Wretched man 
that I am. That's an expression of being crushed by the reality of sin. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It drives us to the gospel. Verse 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. Is anyone here just? Nope. Glad you didn't raise your hand half asleep. And... I, I asked a few minutes ago, can someone be saved by keeping the law? Here's the answer to that. Jesus said it. Behold, a lawyer stood and up and put him to the test. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's being in heaven. He said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? The guy answered back. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God. First table of the law. First four commandments. Vertical. Your relationship with God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the, the, the lawyer answered back to him. And what did Jesus say to the lawyer? Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So there is a way of being saved by the law. Here's all you got to do. Never once break the law of God, even in thought. Always keep the law of God. What's Jesus trying to do with this guy? Mess with his mind? He's trying to bring the law of God to bear so that this young man will open his eyes and be crushed. And so when Paul says, he's got his tongue in his cheek, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. But there's none just. There none righteous, not even one. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped, the whole world may become accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. There's your answer. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So what's the problem? None is righteous. No, not one. That's the problem. That's why the law is necessary to lead us to the gospel. I said it a few minutes ago. It's really pre-evangelism. It's the bad news that always must precede the good news of the gospel. Let's look at the next part of that verse. But for the lawless, the law was not made for the just. Did we establish that there's none righteous? Okay. If the law is a mirror, then who is it for? This is so amazing. I never saw this before I studied this. What Paul does is walk Timothy through the Ten Commandments. The first table is all kind of compressed. The second table of the law, he just enumerates them. Because he's trying to say, Here, here's the proper use of the law. These false teachers are not giving you the proper, proper use of the law. They're either saying that you can be saved by keeping it or that you can ignore it completely. And both, both are, are signs of swerving into the ditch. Here's why the law was given. It's for the lawless and the disobedient. Now, I'm going to stop here, and as I read through this, I'm going to say that the, fa the false leaders, I may come back to this, the false teachers did not see themselves in any of these categories. And I'm going to ask you, have you seen yourself in any of these categories? The lawless, the disobedient, the ungodly sinners for the unholy and profane. Now, again, amazingly, the false teachers did not see themselves in there. Just as amazingly, there are a lot of folks, maybe in this congregation, but I'll guarantee a lot of people in our churches today who do not see those words applying to them. By the way, 
Here's something that is really remarkable and it's cool. We'll get into this, Lord willing, next week. But Paul had no problem seeing himself. Why? Because he knew the proper use of the law and he had been crushed by the law. In fact, you know what he's going to say in the next section? These guys, lawless and disobedient, ungodly sinners, unholy and profane, put me at the front of the line. I'm the chief of sinners. Wow, what a statement about the glory of the gospel. Basically, Paul outlines the first table, the first four commandments. By the way, what are the first four commandments? What's the first one? No other God before me. Second, no idols. Hey, good, you're good. Third, don't take God's name in vain. No bad words. It's more than just cussing. It's anything that we do that profanes, takes the word of God, takes God's name in vain, empty. It's profaning. All of these words fit into that. What's the fourth commandment? Worship God as he should be worshiped. And when you read these words, that is just a summary, lawless, acting as if there is no law. Out of that grows disobedience. Ungodly, out of that grows a sinful lifestyle. Unholy, out of that grows a profane kind of life. The second part outlines the next part of the law. By the way, for for those who just kind of may look at that, I, I said it a minute ago, and you may have a hard time putting yourself into that. There might be someone here today even who says, oh, hey, come on, pastor. I may do something, but I'm not that. Here's something about the fourth commandment. I go to church. Hey, look, I'm I'm here. Do, Do you see me? So do false teachers. So does the devil. I've said it before, and this this is right out of the parable of the sower, the most active place for demonic activity is not at the local bar where everything in the world is going on. It is in a congregation of Bible-hearing believers and non-believers who are here. Because when the Word is sown, What's the very first thing, the enemy of the word that comes? The birds, which are the emissaries of the devil, to steal away the word and make it unfruitful. The last part of verse 9 and on into verse 10 outlines the second table of the law, the horizontal that deals with our relationship with others, with other people, with other Christians. And we're just going to walk through this now. Watch what Paul does. I, I am ju- I'm trying to lead out what Paul said and then what he was trying to get across. He starts with not the, the little thing. He starts with the most egregious example of the violation of that particular law. Okay? So let's look at him. Let's just walk through him. For those who strike, that word means to kill. For those who kill their fathers and mothers. Which commandment is that? Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And there are a whole lot of people, and here's what Paul is trying to do, that would say, well, I've, I haven't murdered my father and my mother. That's the most egregious. He's showing that. There's no problem seeing that that is a sin, but one of the things that children and young people and even adults need to hear is what the fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. Do you have respect in your words and attitudes for the parents that God has given you? whether biological or adopted or whatever, are you honoring and respecting them as parents, as the authorities placed over you by God? 
And that commandment has a lot to do with authority in general. And so it may be difficult for people to say, well, I'm not, I'm not a father or a mother murderer. By the way, the Greek words for that, patricide, matricide, we get, we get our words for that, killing a father, killing a mother. But have you ever disrespected your father or mother? I'm not talking just to children. I'm talking to adults and how parents are treated as well. Sixth commandment, murder. Remember the, the, the finger method? Don't murder. The word here is manslayers. Again, he's arguing from greater to lesser. Well, I've never killed anybody. I've talked to people who have. By, by the way, the law is meant to crush, to lead us to Christ. There is no unforgivable sin, even killing a father and mother, or murder, the basic thing of manslayers. You say, well, I've, I've, I've never killed anyone. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, have you ever had a hateful thought? Come on. Even a little bit of a hateful thought? Driving is the classic example, or somebody who's done you wrong, even a family member, and you that, that, that sense welling up in you. And of course, we've violated that over and over again. By the way, I, I, I'm telling you how I will vote and not vote. And I will vote. I cannot, I cannot vote for any individual who stands on a platform that violates this commandment. I can't. Well, look at the candidate. Of course we look at the candidate. And there are times when you may need to not vote or vote for another candidate who doesn't represent a political party that doesn't fall into violating a commandment like this. That's how I will choose to vote. I, I hear these commercials. Now, if you're going to correct me, and maybe I need correcting, correct me with the word. Don't just say you don't like what I'm saying or you're just a hater or something like that, please, 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 and I'll, I'll listen. I really will try to listen. Correct me with the word. But I listen to these commercials that talk about a woman's rights, and my heart sinks, and I always think, which woman? What about the right of a woman in the womb who cannot defend herself? Does she not have rights? Should we not? Well, pastor, you can't legislate morality. Every law that is passed legislates, you've heard this, someone's morality. We don't look to the government or any political party. My former pastor used to say, no political party has the line of Judah by the tail. Write that one down. We don't look for salvation in a political party, but as much as we can, wherever we are, shouldn't we seek to at least try to put people into authority who share biblical values and who will ultimately seek to protect those who cannot protect themselves? Have I meddled too much? I, I, you don't have to say no. I, I just, please, if I need correcting, correct me. But I, this is the way I see Paul saying it. What's the law supposed to do to crush us, to lead us to Christ? Next, the sexually immoral. And then he adds another one, the, the outcome, the most egregious outcome of sexual immorality. By the way, in the New Testament, whenever you see a list of sins, almost without fail, what is at the top of the list? Sexual immorality. It was something that tripped up the nation of Israel all the way through. Even their idolatry was sexual immorality. But what he does is list that as the general, and then he goes to the most egregious form 
Paul knew what he was writing here, men who practice homosexuality. This has to do with the marriage covenant. All of the laws ultimately point to the character of God. Why does God say don't commit adultery? By the way, go back and read our statement on marriage, the sanctity of marriage. It explains all of that there in a couple of paragraphs. Why does he say don't commit adultery? Because it violates what he has created in the marriage covenant. And anything that violates that, no matter what it's called, is sin. Can sin be forgiven? Is there any such thing as the unpardonable sin? Is there? Well, only a person who continues in blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But no matter what you've done, there... But call a sin a sin. Paul says don't brush over this. Now he's talking about all the way over here in thought life to the more, again, the most egregious kind of violation of that. Just call it a sin. Let it crush you so it will lead you to the cross so that you will know forgiveness. Do I need to say anything more about that? There are children present. And I, boy, I prayed about how do I be discreet and yet say what Paul is saying here. And we have, our culture is awash with new words, redefinitions of words, with all kinds of, of, of things that have been created to deceive. They're moving. A long time ago, they began to move the boundaries in many different areas, not just this area but for sure in this area. By the way, if there were a movement for any one of these sins listed, that would be problematic. A movement that says we want to force this on culture, we want to force this in the church. I don't see any movements afoot today to make murdering a legitimized, normalized, lifestyle. Maybe there is, I just don't see it, but I do see it within this. So, so could I just say it like this? L is a sin. G is a sin. T is a sin. B is a sin. Q is a sin. And plus is definitely a sin. Not Unpardonable, but something that is to crush us and lead us to Christ. So please, please put on your discerning ears. Watch out for preachers who say God whispers about these sins. Shouts about other, listen folks, he, he shouts about all sin. Because the wages of sin is death unless we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what the influencers say. No matter what the influencers say. We're not haters. I'm not a hater. The one, Paul was not a hater. The one who loves you the most is the one who will tell you the most truth about yourself. And that's why the law is your friend. Enslavers, that's the eighth commandment. Kidnappers. Man-stealers, we don't have a problem with that. Since the Emancipation Proclamation, it means a lot more than that. I, I tell you, I, you and I have our heads in the sand many times. I do. But there are some in this congregation who have worked with people who have been enslaved in human trafficking. And that is rampant. That's rampant in our, in our own country and around the world. And that is an egregious sin. Now, by the way, what commandment does enslavers have to do with? Stealing from someone something that is not yours. Stealing another human's life. and It's the eighth commandment. But see what he does? And, and the false teachers would say, well, I, I don't do that. And you would say... We don't do that. But let's go to the basic commandment, you shall not steal. And it means that if you 
think that you can go to work and there's a pencil laying there that your work has paid for and you can take it without asking, without offering to pay at least from greater to lesser. You say, oh, come on, pastor. A violation is a violation. What is the violation to do? To beat you down with legalism? No, to crush you so that you will turn to Christ and see that as a sin. So that you will trust Jesus Christ. People or pencils? It's a sin that needs the remedy of the blood of Jesus. Liars and perjurers, that's the ninth and tenth commandment. We need to be true with all of our words. The check's in the mail. I didn't cheat on my taxes much. Oh, I got a late start. Traffic was bad. I, you know, just all oh, those are white lies. You can tell those. No, they're lies. And perjury us- usually, back then especially, was used to get something that you wanted that you couldn't have, as in Ahab and Naboth's vineyard. What did he do? He got some worthless fellows to perjure Naboth. Did same, they, the authorities did the same thing with Jesus. And then he adds, just in case you miss something, just in case he misses something from the Ten Commandments, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance, look what he always comes back to, what Paul's going to talk about next week, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. What is at risk? Okay, this is the end of the sermon. Did you set that clock right? I couldn't have preached that long. I'm going to finish. What's at risk? What's at risk is that there could be people who believe that when you meet Jesus Christ, the living Lord of glory, that you can remain the same. Paul is saying, how is that possible? If you're out on Kilpatrick and you're going eastbound, in the westbound traffic, and if you run head-on into an 18-wheeler, someone is going to change direction. And it's not going to be the 18-wheeler. And when Jesus begins to show you your sin, and there could be some in this audience who don't know Christ yet, and and even through some of this, rather than react and respond and, and all the rest, All of a sudden, the Lord, this is God's Word. This is God's Word. This guy is just explaining God's Word. And so God's Word has come to bear on this sin that I'm harboring, that I'm, I don't want to come to Jesus, but today I've seen that I need to. And if that is reality, and if you repent of your sin, and if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will become a new creation. Being a Christian is always always a matter of changing your identity. And the two essentials are that complete and radical identity of the ending of the old life and the progressive impartation of the new life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And I pray that today, if you have not, that you will do that business with God if the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Hey, if you need somebody to talk to, I'll be here. There are other people right down here that would be more than willing to visit with you about that. But Christian, take this. this, this what we've studied today is what Paul says. Here's how you're going to tell about false teachers and what they teach. Live it. Hammer it into your hearts. Hammer it into your children's, your grandchildren's hearts. For the glory of God, for the good of your family, for the health of His church. Father, I thank You and praise You that You give Your Word.
And uh, there are a lot of people saying a lot of different things, Lord, but we just need your word. And if I've said anything word I, uh, uh, wrong today, Lord, I pray that our people would have the Berean spirit. Our children talked about that Wednesday night. Having the spirit of the church at Berea where they examined everything Paul said by the scriptures. Lord, let us be a church that does that. Not moving forward to follow those who swerve into the ditch on one side or the other, but follow you in the straight path of your word, empowered by your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer. Lord, save people today through your gospel. Show them their sins. Show them the wonders of Calvary. Grant them repentance and faith to turn away from sin and turn by faith to Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.